Twelve years ago, the London tube bombings killed 52 civilians and four Muslim terrorists who blew themselves up. Two of them were teenagers, three of them born in Britain, and from their work nearly 800 people were injured, including Australian Jill Hicks. Our reporter Noel Bean spoke with her this week about the Manchester attack and the London attack that saw her lose both her legs. The nerves have kept growing in my stumps. And now having had a child, I actually can describe this pain as worse than labour pain. And what I've found fascinating is as I've gone through this and the pain has increased, I still haven't felt the trigger to send me into a hatred or a sense of bitterness. I can only attribute this to during my rescue, during um, my time in hospital, I felt loved. My hand was always held. I felt the gentleness of human touch, absolute unconditional love. And that is the thing I think has truly saved my life up until this very day. I've seen a lot of your work in public, and I'm sure you above all others can empathise with the sort of panic that kids and parents have gone through in Manchester. I remember my own panic was, does anyone know we're here? So I was in the underground, so it was roughly an hour before rescue was able to get to us. Mm. And, of course, watching the footage back now... It's mayhem on the streets above, but underground I had no idea that anyone actually knew what had happened or that we indeed were going to be rescued. But, you know, this is the very design of these types of heinous acts of ignorance and cowardice. It's designed to create as much panic, fear, is there another device, is something else going to happen? That's really why... We're still seeing this type of violent extremism occurring. You'd suffered a terrorist attack yourself. You survived it just. But then you said a lesson you took away from that was never presume anything about anyone you don't know. Can Mm. you explain that? It was looking at the suicide bomber and he's gone into a carriage and he has presumed everything about myself and my fellow commuters and he himself then dehumanised us, if you like. And I guess if I rerun the history, I'll be forever asking what would have been different if he'd had a conversation with us because he went into a situation presuming that we were the enemy and therefore somehow justifying his action of detonating his bomb. And that, to me, is a very valuable lesson because then I look at myself as, I guess, an outcome, if you like, of the very destructive end of division within our society. But also, I've survived. So therefore, I see myself as a testament to the brilliance of humanity for all of those people who saved my life, in fact. 
what you say is, of course, part of why we are so grateful you could come on the program for us this week, in that not only did you survive, you then turned around and you founded Mad for Peace, making a mm-hmm. difference for peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the years it's been running, you've tried to do simple things. You've walked, mm-hmm. what, 430 kilometres. <laughs> but, but what you've been trying to do is get people to talk. Can mm-hmm. you explain for the listener what, what that's about? When I was rescued and I was admitted to hospital, I was given a very chilling ID bracelet. And that ID bracelet had four words written on it, and they were one unknown, estimated female. And I looked at those four words, and I absolutely felt this incredible rush of understanding of There lies the key to who we really are, that people, rescuers, made a choice that morning to face danger, to go towards danger, to save as many one unknowns as they could. They didn't look at my body and and judge me on the colour of my skin, indeed whether I was male or female, if I had a faith or no faith at all. All that mattered was that I was a precious human life. And that has had a profound and transformational impact on everything I've become and everything I do to this day. So I set off on my walk from Leeds down to London, which took about a month on the road, with this in my heart and in my knowledge that I believed that we were better than what we perhaps thought of ourselves, that what we have in common is the far greater bond than all the very many slight differences that keep us apart. And it's just finding that common ground, that platform. I've yet to be let down by humanity. I'm always reassured that the very brilliance that saved my life is there in each and every one of us. I want to ask a more difficult question. Uh, The 7th of July 2005, uh, there's another Manchester. There seems to be attack after attack. Uh, The Lint Cafe stuff has just come down from the coroner about what happened in Sydney. Is there not, in a sense, a reservoir of mistrust that can grow and become deeper? How do you overcome that? Mm. Uh, From my position, to even be here talking to you a decade on from my own incident is frustrating, maddening, terribly sad, all of those things. And I I guess I have to then re-examine of, so why do we still have this problem? And why is it, for all intents and purposes, feeling that it's escalating? I don't know the answer. All I do feel is that if we are doing exactly the same things and hoping to get an outcome and we're not, then perhaps we need to change what we're doing. I'm absolutely a firm believer with people that hold an extremist view that you can't bomb an ideology. An ideology or a formation of ideas, I believe, has to be met and indeed challenged by another set of ideas. What's your message, Jill Hicks, to those who, because of what's happened most recently, find inside them a rage against Islam, against Muslims building? Mm. What Mm. do you say to people who are feeling that? I increase in my anger 
year by year. Um, now that I'm a, a mother of a four-year-old that I can't run along the sand and play with because of losing both legs mm. to this senselessness, indeed my anger increases. But I've started to look at my anger in terms of a very positive motivator. So often I even ask myself, am I angry enough to keep making a difference, to keep getting up, to keep looking at my own actions to be part of a solution? So I will never, ever, ever advocate that we replicate the type of thinking that's indeed led to me being a double amputee. Instead, I think we need to really examine what are the motivations of violent extremism. And I like to, to think of this as organised crime, if you like. Mm. If the organised crime, if one of their ambitions is to divide society in which to then conquer vast parts of society, then by no means can we ever, ever, ever play into that. What if for every act of terrorism and violent extremism, we all each practised five great deeds for someone who's unknown to us? I may not be able to control the events that happen in life, but I can absolutely control how I react and respond to every single incident that presents itself. So that is a real power, an individual power that each of us has. Jill Hicks. She lost both her legs in the London bombings 12 years ago. She's, as you can clearly hear, staying strong in every respect. Sami, what stuck in your head most about what Jill had to say? Uh, the moment where she was describing the anger she feels at not being able to walk along the beach with her child, practical problems or challenges one, one encounters after suffering such an experience. And then the other thing was the moment where the bandage around her wrist and the four words on that, which kind of changed her point of view. What about you, John? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, what is there to say? But it kind of gives you hope that people are really resilient and it's obviously like very inspiring that we can learn from that because like, like most of us will not go through anything as horrible as that. On our end, it's God forbid, we're with Samisha and John Safran.